Hi, this is Jonathan Abbott. And Joseph Del Santos. And we're a health-conscious podcast coming to you from Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. And we're going to have a little Sloaney special today. We're going to talk with some Sloan students about a variety of topics. Yeah, we're uh, going to be focusing on M&As in the healthcare space. I think it's a really exciting time, and a lot of us Sloanies are really in tune with the news that's coming out of the field. Yeah, I think um, we had really great insights from Mariana, Freddie, and Sana. And without further ado, let's get right into the conversation. Um, we're going to talk to Freddie, Sana, and Mariana. Uh, I'll have them each introduce themselves. Hi, good morning, Joe and uh, John. Thank you for having me. My name is Freddie Terrazas Escamilla. I am a first year in the SOM program. And prior to being in the SOM program, I was serving in the Peace Corps in Nicaragua. Uh, good morning. I'm Sana. Thank you for having me as well. Um, I'm also a first year student in the Sloan program and I come from Canada, so I have an interesting background with the single payer healthcare system. All right. Hi, John and Joe. I'm Adiana. I'm a first year in the Sloan program. I'm from Milwaukee. I did my undergrad at Minnesota and now I'm here. Thank you guys so much for being here. So we're, I guess we're going to get started today talking about some of the mergers and acquisitions that have been happening in, in hospitals. As you guys all know, it's a, a big trend that's been happening over the last decade, and it looks like it's going to continue over the next you know, like five, ten years. I yeah. And we really kind of want to talk to you guys about like what are your thoughts about the mergers that have been happening in the past kind of few years. There's been kind of a torrent of mergers, kind of hospitals trying to expand their footprint. Um, like what do you guys think, I guess, are going to be the implications within the next few years? Uh, Friday, why don't we start with you? Sure. So I think it's interesting. We had a speaker very early on this year from the healthcare club in the Johnson School of Business who talked about how consolidating is really having quite an impact on the industry. You know, he even made a joke that he thought that everything would be run out of a warehouse in Kansas one day. Um, you have to really look at the different players in the market. Anytime tech is getting involved in anything, you definitely want to pay attention. Uh, those guys out of Silicon Valley don't just go into anything without knowing what they're doing. Um, and then you have to look at the hospital market. You have people who are consolidating kind of out of necessity sometimes, not necessarily out of need. And then you look at the insurance players where they're really looking to increase their reach. Uh, I mean, look at CVS and Aetna. Uh, we really don't know what's going to come out of that yet, but it'll be really interesting to see. So. For me, I'm still at the point where I'm waiting to see what happens. Uh, it's kind of too early to make judgments, but I definitely think that not everything will be viable in the future. And I know we'll go into that in a little bit, but um, very interesting time, but also an interesting time to reflect about what's going on in the industry as well. Yeah, I think that was an interesting point you made about sort of vertical integration in healthcare. So it's not just, it's not just hospitals and hospitals. Now it's tech to hospitals to insurance, and they're kind of all building one giant system. Um, so Madi, do you think in the future that's going to be a continued trend? It, say you're a hospital administrator in the future, what do you think your interaction is going to be with Silicon Valley or with insurance companies that are part of your network? Well, I think it would depend on where these mergers and acquisitions are taking place. For example, in some areas, reducing duplicity of services would be very useful, but at the same time, you don't want to take away the patient's choice. But working with tech, I think there are so many opportunities. I think every day I see mm -hmm. some new technology popping up. So um, I guess my answer would be it depends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some things you don't want to reduce patient interaction. 
you do want to enhance the patient experience, but it it just depends, I think, on the market and the area mm-hmm. in which these mergers are taking place. Mm-hmm. Tana, what do you think? I agree with Freddie, and the fact that some of these mergers and acquisitions are taking place in, in places where they require it just to make sure that they stay, they're still present. But interestingly enough, I volunteered at a hospital that I saw go through a merger and acquisition, and they did it for the ease of record sharing and to split their services so that one hospital became more focused on cardiac and one became more focused on oncology. And in a home, in my hometown was about a million people, like it made sense. So if that's the reason I think they will, they are a good option, but the viability, we don't know. I think you touched on an interesting point about the viability because um, we've been talking a lot about sort of the positive aspects of M&As, but uh, there's a lot of negatives as well. We're seeing a few major health systems sort of eat up all these community hospitals and maybe maybe that might not be so good for the patient. It kills diversity of choice. So uh, maybe, Sana, could you speak to some of the negatives you see uh, yeah. coming out of this space? Um, so definitely with patient choice, you're... If you chose something beforehand, but then these bigger, larger companies are coming in, and so your choice is basically gone. And then I think that personal patient relationship is also Mm -hmm. gone because a new company could come in and take over and kind of, you know, get rid of the old staff or the old nurses or no people who didn't want to go into the merger are not there anymore, and you lose that connection. And so, and it hurts the patient experience, I think, in general. Right. I totally agree. And I I think... The government hasn't really done, there's laws in place to prevent monopolistic actions, Mm -hmm. right? There's certificate of need laws and other such laws like that, but we've still seen these academic medical centers sort of dominating the market. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. And I think that in terms of all these hospitals consolidating, I think it's also important to consider, like you pointed out, in terms of the community health centers, you know, a a lot of parts in mergers acquisitions would be um, for health systems to kind of reduce unnecessary services. Um, so they may deem that these community centers may not be necessary or may want to kind of remodel them in a way that's more efficient for them business-wise. Mm-hmm. And that they're, I mean, with that, it leads to potential issues in terms of access of care and having that uh, patient-provider relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess in terms of having kind of single institute institutes for specific types of procedures do you think how do you think that's going to affect like patients and kind of and also on the other side providers in terms of like the care that they'll be able to provide and joe before we I jump into that i think another point that i was thinking about as sana was talking was you know when i was a kid and i know i'm probably one of the older people in the room right now but <laughs> when i was a kid you would go to a different place for every single procedure it wasn't all consolidated. You weren't under one roof and you really kind of had to handle that as you would. But now you're introduced to a system and all of your service can be taken care of until the point of death as, mm-hmm. as you come in as a child, which I think is really interesting. I think a lot of times we focus on the negative aspects of mergers and acquisitions, but there are obviously a lot of benefits to it. Going back to your question of that single institute, I think it depends to where the geographic area is. So if you're in a rural area, that might be a lot better. It might be bringing services to you that you never had, and you might be integrating with a system that was maybe 20 miles away and you couldn't access because of the payer model that was set up. But now they're opening the doors up to you and you have the ability to seek services that you would have to go across state lines or across county lines. 
But one of the things that we do focus on, especially in our classes, is what happens to the bargaining power and does that get reflected to the patients? So we know these bigger systems end up paying less when it comes to the insurance uh, relationship, but that doesn't always get translated to the patient. And I think that's one of the reasons that we see, you know, the growing number of healthcare spending. So it's good and bad, I suppose. It's, you never have a great answer, <laughs> uh, especially in healthcare. But I think it's definitely, like I said before, it, it's important to keep an eye on, and especially as, as we go into the field in our different positions, um, how that affects us and how that will maybe deter us from being able to give the best care to our patients one day. I guess in terms of um, pricing for patients, I know there's an article that was put out, and I think it was 2012 or 2013, in terms of like, you know, hospitals charging kind of exorbitant prices. Like there's a, a ridiculous difference in terms of pricing. There's in like two hospitals in Texas, Texas and then Arkansas. I think there's also in the city of Texarkana. Uh, and it was kind of, I was thinking that in terms of these um, kind of larger systems kind of eating up a lot of these services, um, do you think that prices will go up for patients? And if they do, do you foresee there being any government intervention or um, I guess patients kind of banding together to kind of combat that? Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely do. Um, especially, let, let's say you're in a rural area and all of the hospitals or little clinics are controlled by one organization. What choice do you have? They can kind of charge you whatever they feel like. Um, let's say your nearest choice is two or three hours away. That's incredibly inconvenient for patients. So um, with that being said, I think the government would intervene at some point. But um, with the current administration, we don't actually know what will happen um, just because everything's kind of up in the air with insurance. Um, and I just don't know if that would be a main focus with everything going on with Obamacare and uh, whatnot. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, you mentioned there's one system for an entire community. And it's true that the system, you know, it's more efficient to have a patient kind of go through the system from hospital to hospital and see, you know, spec the spectrum of care end to end. But on the other hand, like you said, they can charge whatever they want, essentially, because that's the only choice in the market. Um, so do, do you think that maybe introducing more competition into the market would drive down prices? Or do you think mergers in the payer space sort of so they have more bargaining power would be more beneficial in uh, pushing prices down for the patients? I think that bringing competition would definitely bring down prices because in reality, if you're if you even if you have more bargaining power, that doesn't mean that you're going to pass down the benefits to consumers mm -hmm. uh, and to patients. So, I mean, if you think about what's going on with current tax cuts to larger corporate organizations, they're not passing those on to the people mm -hmm. that are their laborers. They're not passing those down to the people that are at the bottom of the tier. Mm -hmm. um, they might, they could, in mm -hmm. a perfect reality, like they, you'd they, say. They have somewhat <laughs> with, yeah. with, the, yeah. with the, what was it? I think they gave, I think Walmart gave like $1,000 bonuses or something like that. So yeah, but see, how much does that help? You know, I mm -hmm. think someone said like, oh, you can buy a car with $1,000. You can't. And so if you pass down certain benefits to patients, how mm -hmm. much would it help them in reality? When you bring in competition, it's going to help mm -hmm. a lot more because then they're kind of competing price-wise. 
But again, how much does that help when there's no transparency of pricing? So there's a lot of things that come into play with mergers and acquisitions. You can't, there's no single answer. The answer for every question is it depends. <laughs> you know, it just depends. <laughs> we'll, we'll go towards the future now. I guess, what do you guys see in terms of, you know, a lot of these organizations are, in order to kind of evade antitrust laws, they're going where they aren't and kind of purchasing or aligning with organizations so that they can, again, expand kind of the pie. Um, do you think that in the future, like maybe, you know, by the time we retire, that these uh, mergers are going to sustain themselves or are they going to be kind of cut down due to kind of other administrations kind of dictating how they want their health care? Well, why don't you give your opinion first, Joe, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll go around. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that it's not sustainable um, because I feel like, you know, if you look at the for-profit sector, you know, a lot of these larger like health, health systems, like community, community health systems, um, you know, they bought up or they, they merged with uh, health management associates. And they thought that, you know, with the passage of the ACA, they're going to be kind of in the clear because most of the hospitals were in the South, you know, large kind of low-income Medicaid population. Uh, and if the... Um, if these states expanded, then they'd get a great windfall, basically. But these states did not. So these hospitals are hemorrhaging money, and now they're kind of selling off, kind of piecemeal, all of the hospitals um, that they have in the southern regions to kind of reorganizing their stock prices. Have been nosediving the past three, what, two, three years, Freddie? Yeah. I, I think I agree with you, Joe, but for a different reason. Mm -hmm. I think when you bring together so much in such a quick manner, it's not sustainable. And you can look at a lot of other industries and you can look at a lot of industries that have failed doing that. Unfortunately, healthcare is about 10, 15 years behind the rest of the trends in all the other industries. So you would hope that they learned a little bit from what is going on around the industries. But you know, we tend to make a lot of the same mistakes as happens throughout history. And what really needs to happen is they need to figure out a way to take these systems that they're making and stop fragmenting them at the state and county level because you have these massive systems that cross state lines, sometimes cross international lines, but the strategy that goes into it, especially with changing payer methods, it doesn't it doesn't lend to a viable solution. Uh, Joe and I, you and I have had this conversation many times, but I think there really is a bubble in healthcare right now. I think at some point it's going to burst. Um, what's going to happen at that point is either really scary or we just take a shift to a different option. But the way that the healthcare spending is going, the rate that we're growing at, and how much we're just amassing more and more of the GDP, um, it doesn't take an economist to know that that's just not a viable option for you know not only financial um, freedom for these hospitals, but for sustainability for our patients. So. If we want to improve our healthcare system, if we want to improve patient experience, and we really want to buy into you know value-based medicine, these bigger systems are not the way to do it. But it is what's going on right now in healthcare. So as we enter the business, as you say, you know, when we retire, or is it going to be that way? I think we're going to have to be the ones that are given, you know, if you will, the hot potato and try to figure out how to take it forward. So, yeah. I mean, if you look. If you look into the past of mergers and acquisitions, you see how many mergers and acquisitions occurred in the 90s, how many of those sustained and how many of those failed. And you can kind of take that towards the future and see, I don't with administration and 
administration always changing and states not expanding with their Medicaid funding, then there will never be a sustainable option because of these changes, unless you're always electing someone into office that will always put healthcare as number one. Well, you guys kind of <laughs> touched on everything <laughs> I thought. Well, um, I do not agree um, broadly that it is sustainable, but you can see certain mergers that are beneficial for the community. So it, it just depends on the market again. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think you guys uh, touched on most of the main points, um, like you said, Madi. But I think I think something that we haven't touched on yet is as much as the payer side. Um, I think so. We've seen uh, sort of the Trump administration, the Republicans, they control all houses of government as well as the White House, but they couldn't repeal Obamacare, which says to me that this country is moving more towards sort of a uh, more government-based healthcare system where they're taking a much more active role in sort of managing care, paying for care, and et cetera. Um, in terms of mergers and acquisitions, uh, obviously the government it could be considered the biggest company, quote unquote, in the country. That means they have incredible bargaining power uh, on where they're directing patients. So my sense would be that we're going to see an increasing amount of mergers and acquisitions as hospitals expand and try to increase their bargaining power you know, in relation to the government to deal with those that increase of uh, sort of prices or whatever, or decrease in prices, I should say. So that, that would just be my sense. Okay. I want to go back to a point that someone brought up in terms of a merger um, in Canada and her hometown, mm -hmm. and within her hometown. Yeah. I guess under a single payer system, what, I guess what were the, what was the thought process really behind that merger? Because it's not really about like them trying to like get more revenue as much or, I wasn't, I guess I'm, I'm really curious about, I guess, how did that decision like come about like under that single, single payer system? Well, why, don't, why don't we uh, explain what a single payer system is and then we'll go into. Okay. Okay. But, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so a, sing, a single payer system basically is uh, where there's one, a payer, mainly the government paying for the care of the citizens and that care is extended to all the citizens in the given country like uh, Canada. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, so um, and for, the government varies by a province or so I'm from Mississauga, Ontario. So Ontario's government takes care of our health insurance, not only for citizens, but also for permanent residents that come. Um, I'm not ex exactly sure of the exact like reason as to why they did that merger, but it was very interesting because you had Trillium and Credit Valley and then it's now Trillium Health Partners. And Trillium already had like several other locations already in the GTA, the Greater Toronto area. So I guess it was probably just like strategic for them to get another, you know, about 400 bed hospital for them. But the way they differentiated the two is just, you know, making one focused on oncology um, and the one focused on cardiology. So if you have, if there's patients in Credit Valley who are on the cardiology unit, they would be transferred by the ambulance to go to Trillium and have their procedure done and then come back. So that's that's how they have that relationship. Um, but yeah, I mean, the single-payer health system is great if you ever have an emergency and you need to go, but there are long wait times, um, even to see your PCP. If you want to see a specialist, you're waiting 
for months, like at least eight to nine months. And then there is lack of innovation in terms of procedures. Um, for example, if someone needs to get a hysterectomy because of uterine fibroids, the most common and cheapest procedure is to do an incision where there's more technology present in the States that do it through lasers so that there's less recovery time. And do, do you think that in your experience in talking with people, is that sort of a big factor, a big detractor from a single pair system or are people still happy with the system they have, even though there's the longer wait times and the less innovation? I think people are always complaining about the longer wait times, but I think they're still grateful that they have a healthcare mm -hmm. system that mm -hmm. the joke was, oh, I got my feelings here. I'll just go to the doctor today, like, mm -hmm. and it won't cost me anything, you know? And mm -hmm. that's a constant thing between the Americans and the Canadians. For the States, I wouldn't say a single pair. I think it has to be a combination of mm -hmm. something that the European countries do. Mm -hmm. And you said that it was, I guess, in terms of like the healthcare is province by province. Mm -hmm. So are there, is there like movements between kind of Canadian from one province to the other in terms of getting care and like the type of care they receive, or is it pretty much the same all around? I'm not sure if it's the care is pretty much the same, but so I myself am a cardiac patient with a congenital heart defect that was born with it and repaired, and I have annual follow ups. In terms of that, I only have one hospital that I can go to that's all the way in downtown Toronto, so no matter where I am. So there's people in rural areas of the province of Ontario that travel all the way to Toronto just for their follow-up. So there is that like disparity as well. That was a great discussion, wouldn't you say so, Joe? Yeah, I think it was really good, really getting insights from our fellow classmates, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I want to thank you all for listening. I think I hope you guys got a lot of information that you didn't know before coming into the podcast that you now know. And I really want to thank Freddie, Sana, and Mariana uh, for sitting down with us last Absolutely. week and uh, getting their insights. And I think we need to kind of look forward to next week. So check out uh, more information. You can check out Suppin Shaw's blog on healthconscious.wordpress.com mm -hmm. and uh, check us out. <laughs>